0: And welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osband, here with my friend in Chavruta, and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachib Sachim, daf ayin Tet, page 79. The top of our daf continues its discussion that we had yesterday about the piece of doing zrika, of sprinkling the blood, sort of as an essential part of bringing a korban. And it's going to begin with, you know, discussing how Rav holds like Rabbi Yeshua, what part of the korban actually needs to remain of the Khelev and the basar, and how much of it, um, but I'm actually going to start today really with the new Mishnah, because um, I think, I don't know, for me at least, and I've had enough of the sprinkling of the blood, which I'm sure is <laughs> a topic we'll come back to again. Um, but the Gemara year is going to continue with a discussion that has sort of been hinted at before, but I don't f- feel we have has- delved into as well as this stuff is going to, about what actually happens when the entire community is tameh or Rove Hatsibor is Tame, and you're actually going to have to bring that korban Pesach or you're going to allow the community to bring that Korban Pesach in that state. And so the Mishnah reads as follows. So the entire community, or the majority of it, is tame, right? And here, you know, we mean, you know, some type of Tuma, and the Gemara is going to discuss a little bit more about that, and I know you're going to read that part. So this is also an interesting piece of it. That the Kohanim are all tameh, right? In other words, they have to do the avoda as tameh, even though the community itself is tahor yasu Batuma In both of those cases, we're going to say that the korban Pesach um, is um, is uh, you know it can be brought in that way. So it's not up until now. I think we've really been talking about it and being tameh, but it's also interesting to think about. Let's say you didn't have any Kohanim could act, who could actually do the avoda, right? Normally they can't do the Avodah for Tameh, but for the Korban Pesach, we're going to make this exception um, and say that it's such an important Korban, you know, Seaboard, uh, such an important communal Korban that we're going to allow even the Kohanim to work that way. Nittma me'utakahal, but let's say only a minority is Tameh, Hathorino Sinat HaRishon, right? The, that first group who are Tachor, they're going to bring the Korban Pesach in Nisan, right, at the proper time, of the Korban Pesach, and the, the group who is Tameh, who is in the minority, they're going to bring it during Pesach Sheni, which we know is an ER. And we'll get to later what some of the differences are between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni. Um, but the idea is, is that it has to be, you know, um, the entire community is Tameh, the majority of the community is Tameh, or all the Kohanim are Tameh, even though the people themselves are tahor. And those are the circumstances under which we're going to allow this korban to be brought bituma This korban sebor still would be allowed to be brought, even though for the individual, we would not have allowed it.
1: Okay, so one of the things that comes out of this Mishnah is the way the Gemara handles what I'll call here the different levels of Tuma, which we've talked about in the past, right? The, we talked about this in the whole discussion of Rishon Latuma, Shani Latuma, right? The idea that we have different levels and and the, I don't know what we want to call it, the power of contamination, let's say, from one level of Tuma to the next uh, is different. And so, for example, what we're going to see in a moment is that you can have um, impure that could render the Korban Pesach, for example, impure, that would not inherently render a person impure, right, depending on the level of tumah, So that has some real um, practical application. The Gemara here begins, Tana Right, So B'nai Israel, most of the people or all of the people are are impure. And the ko'anim the and the vessels, everything is tahor. or the reverse. All of that means, as long as um, you have one group of people out of the three. Right, we've got Kohanim, we've got everybody, right, the regular people, and we've got the vessels. And and of these, two out of three. It's not just two out of three. As long as one of the groups of the people is tahor, then you would continue along and And offer the korban yasu, but me, you do it in with the in, within the impurity korban because we don't draw that distinction, we don't divide it up um the korban when it's a communal korban right and that's that that's important right that's the key point that there is a level of impurity that is still not going to get in the way of bringing the the communal offering. I'm Rav Chista. All of that is really only being discussed in the context of what happens if you have the vessels are impure, where specifically the knife, right, the knife that's used for slaughtering, had become impure through the contact with one who was impure because of tumat mate, meaning a person who is tumat mate, who had come in contact with a dead body, now handles the knife. Now, the knife is rendered impure with that level of Tumah, that kind of Tumah. Because the verse, there's a verse in Bamidbar Yotet This is one who is slain with a sword, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about is that level of impurity that the person is impure from the impurity of the dead body. Now, I'm repeating myself, but that's the case. Uh, the idea is that the sword meaning the same knife that touches the person, the sword that touches the dead body is as is akin to the corpse itself. Oh, so I'm sorry, I've, I've said this wrong. Let me go back. The sakin, it's not that it touched somebody who had been impure by contact with the dead body. The knife itself has come in contact with the dead body. And so that knife is rendered impure to that same degree as the dead body. The lagavra. And what that means is it can render the person impure who's using it to do the shritah, right? Meaning, usually, a kli, an item, a, a vessel, is not going to render a person impure only in the most extreme circumstances, and that's what this is, right? Namely, where the where the knife itself had come in contact with the dead body, and therefore, it can convey that tumah, contaminate, whatever word you want to use here, to say it gives it off to the person. Demikara, we're talking about a case where, um, usually, you would say that the that the person is impure who's doing the the korban pasach right? You're not worried about the knife itself. So what happens here if we're talking about the knife being the being the source of the impurity? Um, okay, now. What happens when the knife would be rendered impure from coming in contact with some much lesser degree of Tuma to begin with? Like, for example, the Tuma that would be present in the context of contact with a creepy crawly, right? So that, the that will render the meat itself impure, but it won't render the person who wields the knife impure. L'gavro lo tahorin avid, and then the shechita is done with the person still being tahor, still being pure, temein um, lo avid. So then, what that means is that those who are pure could do this, can still perform the Korban Pesach, and those who are impure would not perform the Korban Pesach, right? That seems pretty straightforward. Mutav yochal basar balav, basar shehu So then, it brings us down to the fact that you say it's you know, one one who could eat the Korban Pesach with the impurity of the meat is a very different prohibition than one who eats the Korban Pesach when that person, him or herself, would be um, have the Tuma, the impurity of their body. So I'm going to take a step back here because I don't want to get too bogged down. And listen, the Tumantara, every time we talk about it, I feel like we get bogged down, but... Um, Here's, the, here's what I understand to be the deal, right? We have different levels of tuma, different levels of impurity. And, and whether you're talking about the tuma of the knife that could go into the food as compared to the tuma of the knife that could go into the person wielding the knife, meaning where did that tuma come from? Does it come from a dead body? Does it come from a creepy crawly? If it comes from a dead body, that person is, is in a much more impure state. Right in terms of the prohibition of the uh, the disqualification of eating from the korban pesach, and what does that mean to offer the korban pesach with that degree of Tuma? Whereas, if you're talking about the meat itself becoming tameh, so you're not supposed to eat the korban pesach if the meat itself is tameh, but it's a very it's a much lesser situation than if you would be physically physically is not the right word if you the person eating is impure as opposed to the item that you're eating being impure. So
0: I, you know, I love this uh, Gemara because I think it really elucidates for us the piece that it's really about Tumat Hamid. And I think that kind of makes sense because in a way that's like a Tuma you can't avoid in a certain way, right? Like I know the Sheretz one maybe could happen, but you know, maybe you should be careful about your surroundings or what happens. Have a backup knife. I'm not sure. But Tumat Hamid, I think presumably is that you had to be engaged in a mitzvah of taking care of a dead body. And so, therefore, there was sort of no way to get around it. And I think that's why you do have the opportunity for, um, you know, for Pesach Chene. Um, But it's great here that they sort of want to really make clear what Tuma this is really about.
1: So I think they, so I'm not sure what it says about me, that what I'm thinking is like the knife is used in some murderous, mystery, craziness, right? And then it goes to be used for the Korma Pesach, which would be less of a mitzvah involved. But I think that you're right. I think that that is just my imagination running away with me. Why is this knife impure? Why would it ever have come in contact with a corpse? That makes no sense to me, except for that. What you're saying is that for whatever reason, it was necessary for a mitzvah. Well, well, then you're good to go.
0: I mean, at least on a a (laughs)
1: basis. Uh, <laughs> I'm
0: going to move on to what I think is like a classic Gemara discussion here. So at the bottom of Amaral, it says as follows, um, Rav Amar, mechadzeh mechadzeh So the question basically is, and we know like, how could this actually happen? But of course, the Gemara wants to actually explore. It. Rav says, let's say you have half and half. In other words, exactly half of the population who is eligible to bring the Korban Pesach tummy. And half of that population is Tahor, Right. So, when he says you have half and half, it is like a majority, meaning both groups, the Tame ones and the Tahor ones, had the status of being majority. Hallelu Otsin, Latzman, the Hallelujah, Otsin, Latzman. So, those who, you know, those do like themselves, and those do like themselves. In other words, meaning those who are basically Tahor, they're going to bring the Korban Pesach being Tahor. And those who are Tame, they're also going to bring the Korban Pesach being Tame. But at the time of Nissan and not actually waiting until Pesach Shani. We're both going to treat them like the majority. He says, Rav Kahana says, no, if you have this half and half, you know, um, you, uh, you, you know, this cannot be, um, uh, you know, this, we don't consider this to be a majority. The Tahor people, we're going to let them do it at Nissan. The Tame people, they're going to have to wait until uh, Er, till Pesach Sheni. Eka da Amri, now we have a different version of what exactly Rav Kahana said. So here's the second version, which is again, Rav Kahana says, no, when you have it as half and half, there's no majority. So we're going to let the Tower people bring it as they should in Nisan. The Tame people, they actually really lose out that year. They don't get to do it in Nissan and they don't get to do it in Eir. Right? Because they couldn't do the first one because they weren't the majority, and they couldn't do it for the second one because you have to be the minority in order to do it then. So very interesting sort of two versions here. And then the Gemara sort of goes on from there. Uh, to look at those those three different opinions. And it quotes three Brysas, uh sort of a first brysa that supports Rav, another brysa that supports, uh, a second brysa that supports the first version of Rav Kahana, and a third brysa that supports the second version of, of Rav Kahana. And so then the Gemara basically wants to understand, okay, so how do the opposing opinions, in other words, if that first opinion is Rav, then how would the two opinions of, you know, K- Rav Kahana understand that Brisa? Or that second Brisa that goes with that first opinion of Rav Kahana, how would Rav and second opinion of Rav Kahana understand that second Brisa? And I thought this was interesting what the Gemara does here. The Rav Batra to Rav Kahana, right? So according to Rav and the later version, the second version of Rav Kahana, tana, right? This which was taught in the second brisa, to harin osin et harishon, utmein et hasheni, right? The second brisa taught that when you have this case of half and half, the first are going to do, the sorry, the taller group will do regular korban, pesach, and Nissan. The second one will do it in the Shani. Hei hi le. right? So how do we reconcile this? In other words, how do we understand Rav's position, which says everyone does it um, in nisan, and Rav Kahana's opinion says, no, the tower people go in Nisan, but the um, Tame people actually don't get to bring Korban Pesach at all that year, right? So the case here is that the Jewish people are basically divided, half and ha- half are pure, half are impure. But the majority of the women are actually impure. So in other words, they, the, 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 to get to the half of impure people, you know, it's going to be a lot of women. Like if you pulled out all the women in, in Klal the majority of women would have been Tame. Because Southern nashim be reshut reshut. So they're going to do something very interesting here. The Tana is going to say that this Tana actually holds that what? That nashim, they don't actually have to bring the Korban Pesach. It's actually a Rishut. It's actually optional, right? Dal nashim Itmein. So let's subtract the number of women who are impure, right, from that impure group. And then, and then actually, it's not half and half anymore. Actually, the Tame group is the minority group. And so therefore, what? Then, the, the that minority group is just going to bring the Korvan Pesach at Pesach kahana, Right? And so then what do we do about this opinion of Rav and the first opinion of Rabba, right, with this third b'risa, which says, hadetana right? This b'risa taught a case that the Tahor people will do the, uh, will do, you know, Pesach at its original time and its correct time in Nisan. The Tame people, when it's half and half, they won't get to do either. They don't do rishon and they don't do Shani. Heichai right? How do we... Like reconcile this according to Rav's opinion, right? Um, and also to this first opinion of Rav Kahana. Rav Mittar right? Rav would answer it Kagon Shayu Yisrael Mechatzat Temein Mechatzat Tahorin, right? We're gonna have that all of Kal Yisrael's half Tameh, half Tahor, the Nashim Al Tahorin. And then we're gonna add women into that. In other words, that the women will actually, if we add the women and the most of them are pure, right? and we add them in, then actually what? Then the v'kissavar nashimba rishon rehova, right? And we also hold that what? That women actually have to participate. U'bashen ni But this second one, right? Their particip- but their participation in the second one is actually, it's actually optional. Um, and so the Gemara is going to go on from here and go through the, the, another b'risa. But it's interesting to see that sort of the way that they reconcile this, is using this opinion on, which hinges on whether or not women actually need to bring the Korban Pesach. And I was sort of taken by this because up until now, we actually assumed that women had to bring the Korban Pesach. Uh, this idea that it was optional for women, you know, uh, is really not sort of, I think, how it was Posken's, Um But it sort of hinges this being able to sort of reconcile this it, it, it hinges on this, and I think this is also interesting because the Tanaim are writing this at a time where the korban pesach, like it's not being brought anymore, right? Uh, and I guess the question is, like, there must have been an answer to that already. Like, it must have been acceptable already. You know, were women obligated or women were not obligated? And so, what I'm sort of going to guess is, is that there probably were pockets or places where women sort of held it or their family was like, yes, women have to do it. And maybe there were pockets where women didn't do it. It's just puzzling to me how this question was not sort of um, how this question was not sort of answered already. Does that make sense? Like to sort it out when you're not bringing the Korban Pesach doesn't really make sense to me.
1: I would say maybe the opposite, right? Not to to contradict you. I just mean that I think that sometimes when Chazal are puzzling things out like this, as we've seen them figuring things out, right? In Erivin, we saw them figuring things out in a very different way than we see them figuring things out in Pesachim, but, but they're figuring it out, right? They're, they're assessing what would the halacha be in the case of back when the Beit HaMikdash was standing. And I feel like some of that is remembering or figuring out what the Masorah, what really happened. And some of that is kind of the analysis of what makes sense for it to have happened without ever really being able even to compare it to the tachlis, what happened on the ground. And so I'm not sure whether it's something that they must have known or must have been able to find out, or maybe it was even impossible to find out. So that what they're left with is, you know, the sources and and they're applying all the principles of halacha and everything, right? So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have an answer for you. I just I could see it being you know going both ways it maybe it's easier for them to theorize without having the facts on the ground um for sure but i least, also could see how somebody I reads
0: this and it's a little bit like you know the notion where it says yisrael and then you're sort of like weeding out the women you know also it, it just it's an interesting way for the dap to work it out
1: so here's my question why, you know, it's, it's not really a question. I'm, I'm, this is going to be a tongue-in-cheek kind of comment. But if this were today, right, there would be such an uproar over the lack of tsnute in the fact that determining whether, you know, who's Tame and who's Tahor and that kind of thing is just pasnish. For, it's not appropriate for people know, to know when other people are Tame and Tahor, right? And which obviously was not relevant at the time of the Vaynerchuk Dash. It probably wasn't that big of a deal right? The people who were Tame were Tame and the people who were Tahoe were Tahoe. I don't think that there was any it's hard to say, but the way they talk about it, right? It doesn't seem that there's anything to hide. Um, but I would imagine that were this our day, right? If we're going to talk about it back in the day, then then we would have much more concern over what is appropriate for people to be able to know. And I bet you that then the women would not be obligated to be in the Corbin Paso. Right. Because you know that's right. well, the hypermnesia of today. Keep
0: this Gamara in mind, because the actual discussion about whether women are obligated, and there will be a twist in that, like how that was brought. And to your point, Anne does not come until page ninety-one. So just remember this Gamara when we get right. there, because <laughs> this is a classic example of like the discussion sort of being out of order. An assumption that everyone sort of like knew the discussion to the you know the background to it when it presents it on the top. But we're going to see later on that there will be more discussion about this regarding um, are women obligated? And if they are, how did they actually bring the Corban Pesach? And 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 it will tie in a little bit to sort of right, this hyper-SNEA sensitivity.
1: Right. That's our dof discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about the Tumantara of the Kurban Pesach and how many kurbanot were were really brought by women until tomorrow go and learn